This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in dispute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I send you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? never been to an ordination and installation service in the Presbyterian Church um, <coughs> you're I believe you're in for a treat because basically you get three sermons or they uh, <laughs> and, no, and no extra charge you get two extra, <laughs> two extra sermons um, um, this is uh, been the tradition long-standing in the Presbyterian Church before it became the Presbyterian Church in America and it is a very solemn service a very important service in which we um, delegate authority to church officers uh, we believe well depends on who you talk to whether we believe in two offices or three offices we divide the we believe in certainly two offices of elder uh, and deacon. Uh, we also um, 
divide the office of elder into uh, teaching elder and ruling elder. And uh, but the qualifications uh, are the same. We require more uh, thorough uh, knowledge of the scriptures and of the uh, confessions of faith and our church government of uh, ministers than we do ruling elders. But all three offices are very important uh, and essential because they're all uh, biblical, two or three, depending on how you count them. Um, and they're essential to the life of the church and they're all um, authoritative offices. And, and what we do uh, when we lay hands on the deacons to be ordained and installed as deacons, we are saying we are, this session will impart the authority for them to carry out their office. When we, um, when we charge the congregation, uh, we will, uh, uh, that will be one of the messages. Jeff, are you doing that word? Matt Lee will be charging the congregation. Oh, that's Jay. I'm sorry, Jay. Uh, Matt will be asking the questions when these, when the, the deacons take the uh, vows of office from Matt, they will be committing to carry out the responsibility of their office. It, it would be analogous in the secular world to an uh, officer or an enlisted uh, person taking an oath of office and uh, being granted all the rights and privileges of that office. So it is a, it is a very important uh, thing that we do. Um, but much more than the office is the importance of the character of the man who holds that office. When I was in the Army, I, I learned a saying early on in basic training that we salute, you're taught to salute authorities, and you salute the office and not the man. And that is certainly true, but that does not mean that the character of the man that we salute is not important. In fact, it is essential. I again refer you to the scriptures that uh, delineate the spiritual authority. That's that's the great discussion we're having in the PCA right now regarding ministers. What kind of character uh, these a man who who uh, takes the vows in the office of minister uh, should have. And we have we've been involved for three years in that discussion. Um, and we, uh, though, have the great privilege tonight to see what the Word of God speaks of that. So I turn to a chapter on leadership to, uh, to expound tonight. It says in our service that the minister is to preach a sermon suitable to the occasion. I uh, believe this is one of the most suitable uh, passages of all Scripture about spiritual leadership that is necessary in the life of the church. The Apostle Paul wrote his letters to the Corinthians, the first, his first and second letters to a church that was in an exciting city, a strategic place, and yet uh, 
because of its place, because of the, the surrounding culture of that city, was awash in the culture and was full of uh, problems that are very similar and very analogous to the ones that our churches are facing in this present place. And then verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4 of our text, the Apostle Paul, after uh, rebuking the Corinthians for their slavish following after uh, ministers, for their identifying with ministers rather than identifying with the gospel. In chapter 3, he talks about the, the factions that were in the Corinthian church. Some say they, they follow Apollos, the great orator. Some say they, they follow uh, Paul, the great uh, theologian. And the really pious one says, well, we're, we just follow Christ as if um, they're say, merely saying that uh, set them above of others. And Paul rebukes them for not being spiritual, for not being spiritually minded, for not understanding that ministers were simply servants called by God to uh, serve the Lord and to serve his people. In verse 1 and 2, he gives the grounds of, of what he had said previously. This is, this is how you should regard apostles. And, and I would stretch that to say um, ministers, elders, deacons. Uh, you should regard them as servants of Christ. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, and that they should be found faithful. He says two things. They should have, leaders should have a servant heart. And they should be trustworthy. Servant heart and to be trustworthy. And it's interesting that there are uh, three primary words used for servant in the New Testament. And all three of them have it, at least one of their connotations. Uh, a servant in the king's court. Someone who served in, in, uh, over the household and did the bidding of the king, not as rulers, but as servants. The other analogy that's so important, and you know, we heard from Captain House this morning and in, the, in Sunday school, um, was the, the importance of understanding the church as a temple, and, and, and Paul develops that in the previous chapter as well. We're, 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 we are God's building. You are God's field. You are God's building. Uh, God is uh, building this building, and he calls in verse 16, a temple. And that God's spirit dwells in that temple. And if anyone destroys God's um, temple... God will destroy him because his temple is holy and you, you all, plural, you, Corinthian church, are that temple. So servant leaders, whether they are ministers, ruling elders, or deacons, serve 
in God's temple. Psalm 84, verse 10 says, A day in your courts are better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's um, Lee House's favorite verse, by the way. We are, people, when you, a lot of people don't know that uh, Captain House was a uh, nuclear submarine commander. He's also your church janitor, or has been. Uh, he understands uh, what it means to be a, a servant. Someone once asked Charles Haddon Spurgeon, what was the greatest training for a minister? He said, go wait tables. That's the, that's the word here as well. And this word servant at the beginning can also um, mean waiting tables. I, um, when I went through seminary, I, um, I had, some, I, I did it every job imaginable to, to get my way through seminary. I was a football coach. I, um, I uh, actually climbed trees and cut limbs out of trees <laughs> until I fell out. Oh, <laughs> tree. And, uh, and uh, a friend of mine said, why don't you wait tables? And I never thought of that in my life. And so I went, uh, there was this restaurant and back when malls were cool, you know, oh, that's old, that's a long time ago. Now they're like vacant uh, real estate, uh, waiting to be bulldozed for something else. But back in that day, and there was a, a, um, a, a restaurant called the Widow Watson. So I got a job waiting tables. And I, I have to say in the, in the two years that I did that, I probably learned more about people than in any mm -hmm. other job I've ever had. It's if you want to really learn, know how to uh, what about people and about how they think and how they act, uh, do that job. And essentially, that's what a deacon is. A deacon is someone who serves God's people and seeks to understand and know what uh, they need. The same is true for apostles. That's what. They, the Apostle Paul says about apostles, and it certainly applies to elders and deacons as well. There was no one ever more learned or knowledgeable about the Hebrew Scriptures than the Apostle Paul. There was never anyone more used of God to expand his church than the Apostle Paul. There was never one given more direct inspiration from God through directly through the Holy Spirit than the Apostle Paul. And how did he view himself? Not as someone to set himself above anyone, but he viewed himself and, and urged everyone to view him in the same way as a servant. And second, as trustworthy. Note that. Stewards of the mysteries of God 
And moreover, verse 2, that they be found faith or trustworthy. The deacons are responsible for the, the property and the grounds and the, and the uh, collection of the gifts of God's people and the distribution of those gifts to the objects to which they are contributed. It's a very important job and it is absolutely essential that trust, that we trust those um, who are, are given that position. It's absolutely essential for elders to shepherd the flock of God, to care for people spiritually. It's absolutely essential for ministers to preach faithfully uh, the whole counsel of God. Uh, we must be found trustworthy. What we're, what we're talking about when we impart authority and when we have, have a structure of authority according to the Word of God is accountability. Leaders will be held accountable. We, uh, in, in just a few minutes, we will, uh, at the end of my message, we'll, we'll pray and then we will proceed to ask the questions for ordination and then lay hands. The elders will come forward and we will lay hands on these men to ordain them and to install them into the office. And when we lay hands on them, we're not doing anything, there's no magic that comes from, from that. There's no energy that will flow from our personal holiness or any kind of super, it is a symbol of imparting um, authority. In politics, in the military, you raise your right hand, you swear an oath. That's essentially what's happening here. We don't raise our hand, but we, we do take an oath. And we believe, our confession says, and we believe that there, these are lawful oaths. Our confession speaks about lawful oaths and vows. And all of those oaths of office are lawful for believers to take. And we are, are saying that our leaders are accountable to spiritual authority present, but the Apostle Paul underlines and makes it explicitly plain in this passage that the greatest accountability is to God who will judge all. And as much as uh, it is important to have a, ch uh, um, a chain of command or a, uh, a leadership structure, the truth is we are all ultimately accountable to God alone. Paul makes three points here about that accountability. Number one, that things that are hidden will be brought to light. In a world that loves darkness rather than light, we are to walk and act and live in the light of, of what God tells us to be and to do. Uh, we spent most of our time examining these men about their character, about their testimony and their character and their Christian witness. 
it is God ultimately who dis, do, dis, uh, disciplines and exercises judgment. Uh, he knows the heart. We often do not. It is our responsibility to press upon the conscience of, of those who serve, of those who are members, the Word of God. And it is the Holy Spirit's work to bring, uh, bring our heart in conformity with His will. It is the most dangerous thing in the world to profess one thing with our lips and not practice them in our heart. The book of Acts is such an exciting book. It's such a powerful book, but uh, I read from it this morning, but I can't, uh, I can't help but think of uh, chapter five of Acts and the instance with Ananias and uh, Sapphira where they conspired to get glory for themselves because of the way they were going to give a gift. They wanted the, the applause and the praise of men. And the chilling words of the apostle to them, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. And we know that judgment that fell upon them immediately. Not only will there be judgment, but there will be commendation. The commendation that comes from God. Oh, I forget how long ago it was. It was uh, several years ago that we had a deacon here by the name of Russell C. Um, such a, a, a dear, kind, gentle man. And... Um, he was a World War II veteran, and like so many World War II veterans, never spoke of his uh, uh, exploits until later in his life. And then finally he started telling me everything he did. <laughs> it was just absolutely amazing. He'd been in the, in the Pacific Theater. He had been a, a Ranger Scout. Uh, he had um, been, fought in three campaigns, uh, in, including... Um, Guadalcanal, which is one of the bloodiest battles ever in the Pacific, and while in Guadalcanal, he he uh, he was a scout, and, and he told me he said the the commander used to say send send Russ because he'll come back because <laughs> the scouts would go out and do stupid and dangerous things, but Russ had a way of coming back and uh, incredible exploits, but. As soon as uh, the war was over, he got his discharge papers. He could care less about his his medals. He he uh, he, he came home to Arkansas and, and uh, ended up as a bricklayer and laid half the bricks in Old Town Fayetteville. If you go by and see those buildings, it's pretty amazing. But I found out he just he he didn't bother to get his medals, his commendations for all of that heroic service. So I called our congressman, and who was, it's been Steve Womack for a long time, but uh, I will say this about Congressman Womack, he, he did, he did take the, um, to take it very seriously and, and found all of his medals, and there were many medals, many awards, three, three bronze stars with, um, 
commendations for the service. And we had, when we were able to have that, some of you remember we had we had his presentation here, and it was just uh, it just makes me nearly weep thinking about it. He finally uh, got that. Paul is using similar language here, so, but but the reward for faithful service is far greater than to be. You know, Russ should have been called out in formation to the front. To stand before at least a colonel, maybe a, a general, to receive those awards. He never had that opportunity. That's a big deal if you're in the military. You know all about it. If ever been, if you've ever been in the military, Paul's using similar language here to say something far greater, and that is the commendation that his servants who faithfully fulfill their obligation will receive. I don't care what men say. I don't care what people think of me. All I care about is standing before God and being commended by Him and hearing from Him that blessed commendation, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to set apart these servants of yours tonight. We do pray for Phil and Nathan and Liam as they take these vows, as they uh, commit themselves before you, for this congregation uh, to serve to be deacons, uh, there's no greater honor than to be a servant in the church of Jesus Christ. Prepare them for this, and Father, prepare the congregation for this. We will assume vows for them to uphold them and support them as well. May we be attentive uh, to your word and what we commit to. And Father, the result, again, would be your praise, honor, and glory. We ask in Jesus' name. the men who have been duly elected to the office of deacon to step forward. <laughs> 